Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi draft night round one from Kansas City just hours away. Two games tonight in the SEC for baseball, one of them involving Mississippi State. Game one in Knoxville between the Dogs and the Vols coming up, and a whole lot more with you. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. And, of course, on your Supertalk Mississippi radio stations, we are coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, dancingrabbitgolf.com. Go there to book your tee time or plan your trip. You can join us on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. Love to hear from you. Love for you to be a part of the conversation. Check out cspire.com. Whether you're looking for wireless services, you are looking for fiber to the home. You're looking for business IT services. They've got you covered. Cspire.com or your local Cspire store. Alongside Brian Haydad and Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross. Hey, boys. Happy Thursday. We need to start the show with a shout-out. Uh, a poster on BamaInsider.com named M. Clements 11. Here's what he posted today on BamaInsider.com. Saban is playing chess today. Take a transfer quarterback to get everyone talking about Alabama the morning of the NFL draft, where Bryce and Will will go top ten. And Mm. people keep talking about Bama. Spotlight on his program all day. The man is always crooting. Yes, that is an adult man, presumably, uh, who can presumably also vote and drive in a car, thinks that the Buckner transfer to Alabama news will take over today the NFL draft. I aspire to live in such a bubble. I mean, that's a take. That is a take. I I aspire to think that anybody cares at all about that over the draft outside of the state of Alabama. RTR, baby. RTR. Uh, there, There was a great meme, though, of... Uh, you know, the Spider-Men pointing at each other, but they added an extra one, and it just had the name of all three now of Alabama's quarterbacks just pointing at each other. 
So, yeah, I mean, maybe we're spoiling the college football fix, although there is other college football news that is uh, worth getting to as it pertains to the future 12-team playoff that we'll talk about later this afternoon. Tyler Buckner leading, uh, leaving Notre Dame, rejoining his former offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, who is now the offensive coordinator at the University of Alabama. If you were reading between the lines, you could tell that Nick Saban was not overly pleased with quarterback play in their spring game, the A-Day game last Saturday. There is a finite amount of time, what, four more days that the transfer portal is open. And uh, so Tyler Buckner enters the portal, asked not to be contacted, which means he had a pretty good idea of where he was headed. And so now... Oh, wait, that implies Alabama tip. No, no, it doesn't. That, do, oh, that yeah. does not imply that at all. Uh-huh. Does not imply that Alabama did any tampering. Yeah, sure. Um, But... You now have three quarterbacks in the mix at Alabama. The highly thought of, highly sought after Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow, who started a game for them, played a significant part in another game for them a year ago, and Tyler Buckner, formerly the quarterback at Notre Dame. He was going to be supplanted for the starting job by Sam Hartman if he had stayed. Yes. So he... And, and look, Sam Hartman did not run away with that job in the spring. But in fairness, it was a brand new offense for Sam Hartman. He was learning Notre Dame's offense and had come from one of the more unique offenses in college football, that kind of stretch, give, RPO, throw it. Where they ride the mesh point deal. for six seconds, it feels like. I mean, he takes the snap, puts it in the running back's stomach, and and the quarterback at Wake Forest will take that mesh all the way to the line of scrimmage. It is very interesting to watch. It really is. It is a unique version of the RPO offense. And what they do at Notre Dame is more pro-style than that. And so Sam Hartman, it took him a little while. But apparently, as spring practice wore on, he picked up the offense. He's clearly going to be the starter for the... Uh, for the Fighting Irish this year. Hey, now, what does all this say to you? Does it really raise questions for you about the quarterback position at Alabama? Yeah, a little. I mean, I I do know that Alabama will have enough talent around whoever they make the starter to still be a 10-11 win team. I don't worry about that. I wonder who's going to leave. Probably Milrow. And that's a that's a good player that in the right system can be a, a really big asset to somebody. Great runner, probably. I, I haven't seen enough of him as a passer to judge on that, but my guess is he'll be okay. What we saw was not great. But yeah, no, no. But I mean, first ever start on the road in a hostile environment and against a you know an Arkansas team that at the time Mm-mm. he came off the bench. Oh, no, in that that game. Was, first start was at home against right. Texas A and M. A and M. That's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's not impressive. So it was it was the Arkansas game where they were kind of on the ropes, and then he ripped off mm-hmm. that he ripped off that long run, eighty-seven yeah. yard run or whatever it was, and kind yeah. of put the game on ice. You know where he should yeah, go? That's right. Kansas, and I'm not joking. That offense, he could be. He he, he, he reminds me of Jalen Daniels a bit. Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. He wouldn't but, play this year. But, Again, I, I I think it's the the thing that's interesting to me that I, I went I brought up the other day is the difference between Alabama and Georgia on this. Georgia seems locked in with their guys; they're going to go with one of their their kids that they recruited. 
Alabama feels like they don't have the guy and they have to look outside. I, I think that's just a really interesting point for the two top teams in the SEC. And, and you know the fascinating thing about that is I think if you had asked this question a year ago, Alabama thought they did have the heir apparent to Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. They thought it was Ty Simpson. I'm telling you, I've talked to some people who are around that program, and you can't help but raise your eyebrows when you hear something up like this just a little bit. They're like, you know, this run of quarterbacks that Alabama has had, Ty Simpson's going to be the best of the whole bunch. Okay, that's a big statement, right, when you've, you've got a Heisman Trophy winner, a Heisman Trophy finalist, another Heisman Trophy finalist, Mac Jones, who ended up being a first-rounder, who was a Heisman Trophy finalist. Is that is okay? Is that right? Hertz was a finalist though at Oklahoma. Tungavailoa was a finalist but did not win it. Correct. Right. Right. Bryce Young wins it. He's a finalist mm-hmm. another year, and Mac Jones is a finalist as well. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it pays to be the quarterback of a team that wins eleven to thirteen games every year. Yeah, that's that's a, that's who wins the Heisman. That's 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 the only team that can. That's the only people who can win the Heisman unless somebody decides they're going to throw for fifty five hundred yards and forty touchdowns. You know, jokes on me, by the way, because I brought that into the show to to laugh at a guy for thinking that the Alabama quarterback situation is more interesting than the draft outside of the state of Alabama. And then we talked about the Alabama quarterback position. Outside it is interesting of the, out, of, out of the draft. Yeah, well, I mean, but that, that comparison is a good one. On you, because who, who are the what four best teams in the SEC? Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and maybe Tennessee. Tennessee. Three of those four are dead set on who they've got. Now it helps that LSU didn't have a guy leave, so that makes it easier to be dead set. But to, to Haydad's point, you're right. Alabama's the only one that had to do a post-spring portal edition to feel good about quarterback. Tennessee's good. They love Joe Milton. LSU's good because the guy that won the West with them didn't leave. Georgia's fine. They're good. I have no... There's been no talk of them hitting the portal for a quarterback. And then there's Alabama. The two they had look bad. And then they add to that room a guy that wasn't particularly good at Notre Dame and would have lost his job to Sam Hartman had he stuck around. I don't know if desperation is not the right word, but one of those is not created like the other. There's the the guy that does the edits for 24-7 or whatever that said Alabama's got the best quarterback room in the SEC, and I thought, you are an insane person. Don't have the best quarterback room in the West. They don't have the best... No, they don't. I, I mean... That that's something to keep in mind. All, right, all right, so so what quarterback rooms would you rank ahead of Alabama's? We know all this is with the combination of LSU. Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, da- Walker Howard, Daniels and Nuss Daniels and Nussmeyer is better than what Alabama has. The, those two at LSU. What about Tennessee with Joe Milton and uh, Iamale Lieva? Yeah. Don't know yet. Uh, no, don't know yet. Not enough proven anything there. Yeah. Okay. Got You got to have a proven starter to to be in this discussion. Yeah. Sure. Can't just go on on potential. I mean, there's not enough beyond Devin Leary to put Kentucky ahead of them. 
There's no. not enough beyond Spencer Sand or uh, 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 Spencer, Spencer Rattler. Uh, help Rattler. 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 I bet Saban would trade for both of those guys right now, though, if he could. He would. He would. He absolutely would. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Got some uh, some news for you when we come back. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Best. The best. Sports Talk in the state. It's the best thing. Say that again. We the best on three. One, two, three. We the best. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. The SEC pitching rotation came out just a little while ago from the league office, and it's what you get every week. There are a lot of TBAs out there this week. For example, Texas A&M and Arkansas, they've got Game 1 starters listed. Both teams are TBA for Games 2 and Games 3 this weekend. The one, though, that gathers the most local interest, the Georgia Ole Miss series that begins tomorrow night in Oxford. Ole Miss going with Xavier Rivas in Game 1 on Friday night. Freshman right-hander J.T. Quinn will throw Game 2. Ole Miss is TBA for Game 3. I reached out to some folks to try and figure out if there was any news surrounding Hunter Elliott. Uh, Chase Parham from Rebel Grove, the rival site that covers Ole Miss, tweeted just a moment ago a statement from Mike Bianco about Hunter Elliott. Here is the statement. Quote from Mike Bianco. Hunter still felt discomfort after his start on Saturday to the point where we feel it is in his best interest for him to revisit with a physician early next week. Hunter Elliott will not pitch this weekend. Close quote, by the way. I'm, I'm now adding to that. So Hunter Elliott will not pitch this weekend for Ole Miss. He threw two innings in a, uh, a start last week, threw 49 pitches in the game against, uh, against LSU. So off-speed stuff was okay. He did not locate the fastball well and clearly gave it a go, but... It's not there. And so you can't help but wonder if that means that when revisiting with a physician, he went through the long rest and rehab process, came back, tried to go again, if there was still discomfort there, if that means some sort of surgery is on the horizon. I mean, that, that's that's jumping the gun. That's speculating. So forgive me. I'm, I am not reporting that that is happening. But the initial prognosis or diagnosis, whatever, was there was some stuff there in the elbow, rest it, go through the rehab process. If everything looks good, you get back on the mound. He felt good through the entire rehab process, took the mound last week against LSU, pitch count going into that ball game. We knew it was 50 pitches going in. He threw 49, but he didn't feel right after it was over. And so you're not making a leap to think that now they're going to go with a different process. I think there's one thing that we know for sure. Now, this is this is adding one plus one and making it equal two. If there had been a complete tear in the UCL, then Hunter Elliott already would have had surgery. Yes. So there was not a complete tear. And I've talked to some people and said, you know, there was there was some junk in there. But the fact of the matter is, with any pitcher in this day and age, 
if you do an MRI on an elbow, you're going to see some stuff. Right? There's going to be some damage. You might discover a partial tear, whatever. If it's a complete tear, you have the surgery and you move on. That didn't happen, which leads you to believe, and, and based on the people that I've talked to, it was not a complete tear. And so if you're thinking about the possibility of surgery moving forward, it's not necessarily a reconstructive elbow surgery. And so maybe you don't have the same post-surgery recovery window of a year to 18 months that we have become accustomed to with Tommy John injuries. So, again, just kind of thinking through that and trying to put the pieces together, but you're not going to see Hunter Elliott on the mound this weekend. This is the right move. I'll be honest, the right move is to shut down. Ole Miss is 3-15 and 15 in, in SEC play. It's over. You're not going to the NCAA tournament. You're probably not even going to Hoover. Get healthy, come back strong next year, be a first-round pick, and you're good to go. Just it, There's no reason to risk further aggravate. There's no reason to risk further you know, delaying possible rehab and everything else at this point. Just call it a day. Sucks, but call it a day. Yeah. I mean, it seems unlikely with, with this news that he'll pitch again this year. Yeah. I don't know that. No way. It seems very unlikely that, that we'll see Hunter Elliott again this year. Yeah. Which means you got five innings from him on opening day and you got two innings from him in week six of conference play. That's we tough. talked about it earlier this week. That That's not the only issue for this Ole Miss baseball team, but it's a significant one. And there was a trickle-down effect. And, oh, by the way, Jack Doherty didn't pitch last weekend either. And Ole Miss does not have Jack Doherty listed as one of the three starters this weekend. Jack Doherty threw his best game of the year, his best outing since the College World Series against Oklahoma, against Mississippi State, two weeks ago Friday. So 13 days ago. The assumption with the return of Hunter Elliott is, okay, now he goes back to the bullpen, and you and then you, you get to Sunday, and he doesn't pitch as a starter. And you get deeper into Sunday, and he doesn't go to the bullpen as a reliever. And Mike Bianco said on Friday that he didn't respond the way that they had hoped to following his game against Mississippi State the previous Friday. And so you don't know about Jack Doherty, and you know Hunter Elliott's not pitching this weekend, and you got Georgia in town. Tough year on the injury front for Ole Miss baseball, to put it mildly. Two years in a row in this state, we've been robbed by arm injuries of a dominant Friday night guy. Last year with Landon Sims, and now this year with Hunter Elliott. Good news for Ole Miss fans that State didn't get is that Elliott will be back next year and will be ready to go. If, If you're looking for any silver lining with the lineup being what it's going to be next year in terms of experience, which is basically none, at least in an Ole Miss uniform. They're going to have to portal hard. Uh, You should feel really good about the starting pitching going into next season. I mean, all three, if you want to count Elliott, I know he he wasn't able to give you much this year, but you'll return all three starters. What would have been all three starters? 
anyway. So yeah. that will lessen the blow of losing Alderman and Gonzalez and basically the entire lineup because you'll look at the mound and say, hey, there's there's something there going into next season. It won't be the, the team won't exclusively exclusively be a question mark. You will have a very known when it comes to starting pitching next year. And the year before, you lost Gunnar Hoagland during the season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. You know, the, maybe you feel differently about how the Rebels finish. I mean, if you don't change anything other than he goes in game one, two, or three, because Nikhazy pitched game two in that Tucson, Arizona Super Regional two years ago, maybe you feel better about your chances there. But also, if you don't lose Hunter uh, Gunnar Hoagland down the stretch two seasons ago, maybe Ole Miss plays its way to enough wins that they are a national seed and they're hosting that Super Regional in Oxford. They're not on the road in Tucson. But yeah. But you know what? It's the world that we're in in college baseball also. By the way, we can go another year with this in 2020. Although the season was cut short, JT Ginn was going to miss the rest of the season. That's right. But it's not just Ole Miss and Mississippi State either. No. LSU, LSU. two pitchers, but one before the season started and two during the course of Mm -hmm. the season that aren't returning. And that was three of their five best arms on the staff. Their two best relievers and one of their weekend rotation starters. Arkansas loses Jackson Wiggins before the start of the season. Didn't, and, and Arkansas lost Peyton Paulette a year ago before the start mm-hmm. of the season, who was expected to be Brady their Tigert left-handed Friday night guy. Say what? Didn't Ty, isn't Tigert out, too, for Arkansas? Yeah, he has not returned. I, I think they were optimistic that he was going to get back at some point. And, and so when we get a message like this on the ceasefire text line where it says Ole Miss needs to hire a pitching coach, I, I think you're missing the mark on that. Carl Lafferty works with the pitchers, but he is the recruiting coordinator. Mike Bianco, for all practical purposes, is the pitching coach. And if you want to go back over the last 23 years and look at the job that Ole Miss pitchers have done under Mike Bianco, then your idea that Ole Miss needs to go out and hire a pitching coach, is it's kind of based in, like, fantasy land, where you think just hiring somebody who specializes in working with pitchers as an assistant, is an upgrade over the way you've done it. I mean, there is a two-decades body of work of really good pitching from Ole Miss under Mike Bianco that goes, yeah, it's not going to hire a pitching coach. Hiring a pitching coach does not prevent elbow injuries. Hiring a different strength and conditioning coach does not prevent Elbow injuries. Not having 10-year-olds throw 70 innings and 14-year-olds throw 80 innings in the summer prevents elbow injuries when you get to be 19. That's what changes it. Let's talk Mississippi on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm.
Welcome back, Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday. Good to be with you. We'll be in Oxford tomorrow for the 26th Double Decker Arts Festival. Sports Talk Mississippi will be set up in front of the Visit Oxford offices, the cottage on Jackson Avenue. And uh, would love to see you. If you are in the Oxford area tomorrow, come by and uh, and say hello. We uh, would love to get you there. Uh, Brian Haydad uh, sent me a message earlier that he would be coming in a little bit early so that he could stop by and see our buddy Greg at uh, LB's Meat Market. And uh, I think Greg has a care package that's going to be ready for you tomorrow, Haydad. So that'll be good. It's exciting. It's ex- that's exciting news. That's the kind where, of news where, I like to get. Where are you planning I to I love eat that Oxford tomorrow? hospitality. I don't know why. I just, I mean, I might take you. I'm not sure exactly. I, I, kind of a busy morning in the morning with a bunch of stuff going on, but maybe we can meet for lunch. All right, we'll see what we can do. It depends on what time I'm, I'm leaving Starkville, too. So, yeah, okay, that's fair. I gotta get there. And, I gotta get to Greg's. I gotta get over to the LBs too. So, yeah, I had the um, Jane and I had a late lunch today. Sat at the bar at St. Leo mm-hmm. and uh, got the yeah. bacon jam with chili honey pizza with added sausage to it. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, that bro, really good. It was good. Spicy honey. That's a thing that that's it's good. That's that's a yeah. good condiment. Yes. 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 Completely on board with that. <laughs> yeah. Um Porky, I don't know where else to drop this in. So Mike sent us this and I think it's fun. it's cool. Nebraska women's volleyball has announced that they will have a match inside Memorial Stadium Wednesday, August 30th, this coming year. They're going to play Omaha, so of local interest. Nebraska women's volleyball is really good. Hey, Dad, would you care to uh, guess the number of tickets that have already been sold for that match? Have you seen it already? Yes. 82,900 tickets have been sold for the Nebraska women's volleyball match on August 30th in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pretty cool. 3,000 people for volleyball. Yeah, that that's, rules. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I like that. I'm a big fan of that. Hopefully none of them lose their voice. Um, novelty event, a non-football event in a football stadium. A lot of tickets sold. Yeah, that's a stretch. Oh, I get it. I get it now. Yeah, now I mean, I, oh, I got it. I got it from from. I didn't the, ever the get it. I didn't get it, and now I got it. Yeah, hmm. yeah. No, that is cool though. But I, I do wonder if places like Nebraska are loyal to a fault, right? Because even when the football's mediocre, they show up anyway. And it's like you're not sending the right message to your athletic department. That you want to know why Kermit Davis got fired. Because he didn't get to the NCAA tournament enough. The program started not making money. And, you know, chicken or the egg, whatever. But fans sent the message to the athletic director, this is not acceptable. Because they played in a relatively brand new, very nice arena and had nobody inside. But Nebraska, they just, they'll go 5-7 and and then... 80,000 people will go watch them play North Dakota. <laughs> it's like you're sending the wrong message. you got to tell these people, product's not acceptable, but you keep selling out your stadium. They got it backwards. You need to not champion sellout streaks. You need to not sell out your stadium if you don't like the product on the field. You're doing it wrong. Um, 
you alluded to this a few minutes ago when we were talking about it. Uh, everybody that covers the NFL is now reporting that Lamar Jackson, including the Ravens, by the way, and Lamar Jackson themselves have, have tweeted that they have agreed in principle to a deal. Terms of the deal appear to be, according to Ian Rappaport, five years, and he's going to be paid slightly more than Jalen Hurts, who got a five-year, $255 million deal. Jalen Hurts did not have an agent, and he stood firm on what he wanted from the Ravens, and three hours before the draft begins, they come to an agreement, and he's going to get a little bit more than $255 million over the next five years. And he's a great player, and Hurts had a really good year, and Deshaun Watson at one point in his career was a really great player, but you've got these contracts. that This is what I find so fascinating with the NFL, because not every team does this, and the teams that don't do this are more successful. But... You've got these three mega contracts now. Highest paid paid player in the history of the league. And none of them have won a Super Bowl. At least Patrick Mahomes, before he got his mega deal, which isn't a mega deal anymore, went went to two Super Bowls. Won one, I believe, was before he signed that deal. Mm-hmm. It's obviously been to more since. But you're giving all of this guaranteed money for years to guys that haven't won you a championship yet. And I find that interesting. Hertz at least went to one. I mean, you know, he he was there, had a chance to win the game. But but it's not about that, right? I guess not. I mean, it's about what the market dictates. It but it doesn't have to. That it doesn't have to, but not enough teams operate in that way. I mean, yeah, but but did Matt Stafford don't do it either. They 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 extend coaches and give them mega deals when they went six and six. Yeah. It, it feels like they have to do it. That that's I, the I, issue. I, is Baltimore say, felt like they had to do it. Yes, when you say teams don't have to, the alternative to not doing it is you have a franchise quarterback. There's no question Lamar Jackson is the face of the Baltimore Ravens franchise. He is a franchise quarterback who is very very good. See a top five quarterback in the NFL? It's up for debate. See a top ten quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, probably so. Yes. I, I don't. I don't think many people Easily. would debate that Easily. he's not a top ten. You certainly could debate whether he's top five. But if you have a top five to top ten quarterback in the NFL who is the face of your franchise, and who you believe can lead you to a Super Bowl, I mean, Borky, you can say teams don't have to do it. But can you really not? It's tough. I mean, it, it makes it hard, but man. Does this make you think that all of a sudden there was a new market? That there was somebody who decided that they were interested in Lamar Jackson? Because the thing is, it's almost like the Ravens kind of let it get out there like, yeah, we're we're not just going to commit to this. We're We're willing to let him kind of test the waters, knowing that they could match an offer sheet from another team and hold on to him, but there would be some damage that is done. Well, we don't know if publicly this happened or not, but it makes you wonder if somebody got serious. And I would love to know, because that logically that makes a ton of sense. Because Baltimore would not have done what they did initially 
had they always had this in mind. They would have just done this and and not had that extra layer of not mistrust, but hurdle, whatever you want to call it, to get to this point. Who would that have been? I wonder if there's a guy on a Baltimore message board that thinks that the <laughs> Ravens actually waited until three hours before the draft so that they could steal the cycle. Now, look, you can laugh at the guy that thinks Nick Saban did that by bringing in Tyler Buckner to steal the thunder from the NFL draft. Nobody on NFL draft coverage tonight is talking about Tyler Buckner at Alabama. But you better believe that everybody that covers the NFL draft tonight is talking about what the Baltimore Ravens did this afternoon. 100%. It impacts things a little bit now because what's Baltimore going to do with their pick? Are they willing to trade back as some, you know, that, 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 alters the dynamic of of the draft tonight. It, it makes things a lot more interesting. And, and it feels like, and people always say this, but this year it feels like there's a lot of moving parts. Like a lot of teams wanting to trade up, trade back, whatever. Wonder what this means, if anything. I don't know. And, and see, Baltimore's at 22. I mean, they, they may not want to move that pick. They, they may just kind of stick with it and, and it'd be fine, but they might have some suitors for it. Somebody that takes a flyer on a quarterback early and wants to jump back into the first round. The Saints are going to want to move up because they always do, even if it's ill-advised. Uh, hmm. I, I promise you, Mickey Loomis is on the phone with Baltimore like right now. Hey, guys. What does 20 do, 22 do for the Saints, though, as opposed to 29? If they have the guy that they've identified that they're afraid won't be there at 29. That's the only reason why they would do that. Yeah. So we we'll take a look at a couple of, uh, of mock drafts. By the way, Mississippi State Athletics Director Zach Selman is going to join us to begin the 4 o'clock hour on the Farm Bureau guest line. Look forward to talking to him. I was not here for the, the last visit that you guys had with Zach Selman, so I'm excited to visit with him for the first time today. We'll see what the first... Has it been 100 days? A little over 100 days? Hey, Dad, is that about right? Oh, yeah, he was hired in December, wasn't he? Yeah. Was it Was it in December? December or January? He's, he's got to be over 100 days by now, sure. Okay. The first four months. Kind of get some thoughts from him on what the uh, first four months in Starkville have been like and maybe see if he has uh, had time to, to sit back and, and develop a plan in terms of things that he believes are important, kind of his initiatives. So that'll be uh, coming up to start the 4 o'clock hour. Take a peek at what Mel Kuyper thinks the first round is going to look at. I guess because it's Mel Kuyper and also Peter Schrager. In Mississippi sports, you'll hear about it first, right here. Sports Talk Mississippi. All right, so Mel Kuyper's first round. We'll start top five. We'll just compare these. Merrill Kuyper and Peter Schrager's mock drafts side-by-side. Kuyper, of course, from ESPN. Schrager from uh, NFL Network. Carolina Panthers, number one, Bryce Young. 
Houston Texans at two, Will Anderson Jr. Kuiper thinks that the Titans could trade up to the number three pick, and he is projecting that they do that and they take C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State at number three. Will Levis going four to Indianapolis, Jalen Carter going to Seattle at number five. So that's Mel Kuyper's top five. Peter Schrager, Bryce Young at one, Will Anderson at two to Houston, also projecting the Titans trade up to number three and take C.J. Stroud, Will Levis four to Indianapolis, Jalen Carter at five to Seattle. So those two guys are in lockstep in terms of predicting the top five. The Titans need to do something. They need to do something. I mean, offensively, stylistically, they're bad. They blew it with A.J. Brown. They drafted poorly at receiver last year. Derrick Henry is my age, and that's not good for a running back, despite the physical freak that he is. Eventually, eventually, he won't be able to run like he does. They got to do something, and Willis didn't work out. I mean, they, apparently they're already way out on him. Like, it just have not loved, even though it's only been one year. Just don't don't like what they got. Says he wasn't very good. I seem to remember Michael Borky calling that, but we'll go ahead. Anyway, uh, so they got to do something, and them moving up to get Stroud makes sense. Now, staying where they are and getting Hendon Hooker also makes sense, so they don't necessarily have to move, but if they love Stroud, then they love Stroud, and that's what they go do. Yeah. Uh, Both in agreement on 6, 7, 8, and 9 as well. Devin Witherspoon to Illinois, the corner, uh, from Illinois to Detroit. That defense is going to be nasty next year. Tyree Wilson, the edge rusher from Texas Tech to Vegas at 7. Christian Gonzalez, the Oregon corner to Atlanta at 8. Paris Johnson Jr., the offensive lineman to Chicago at 9. And then at Philadelphia. That's where you get the first first departure from the norm. Mel Kuyper believes that Philadelphia is going to do something that they have not done in a really, really long time, and that's draft a running back high. He's got B. John Robinson from Texas going to Philly at number 10. I like that. Peter Schrager thinks that Philly at number 10 goes to the offensive lineman from Northwestern, Peter Skoransky. So, let's grab a couple of names that are interesting also. Not necessarily team by team. Anthony Richardson to Seattle at 12. That's what Peter Schrager says. That makes sense. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, the wide receiver who didn't really play last year. To Green Bay at 13. It's a good troll of Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I mentioned that earlier in the week. Nolan Smith from Georgia, the edge rusher to Tampa Bay at 19. See, that's the, the kind of somebody that I think the Saints would trade up for. Okay. Because I don't believe Mickey Loomis when he says, no, we don't have one position to need. We There's a bunch of guys. He's full of it. He also did say... Right now, we have eight picks, is what he said. Mm -hmm. Which means, by Sunday, we won't have eight picks anymore. Uh, But that's the kind of guy that I I wouldn't be surprised that they move up to get, if he's there. Peter Schrager says that at number 22, the Baltimore Ravens select 
Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback, Mississippi State. He says Forbes doesn't have an ideal frame at just 166 pounds, but holy cow, does his ball-hawking cover man, uh, does this ball-hawking cover man have found uh, fans around the league's scouting community? And by the way, he projects B. John Robinson at 23 to Minnesota, which would be a big fall for Robinson in the first round. Mel Kuyper Jr. has Houston taking Anthony Richardson at 12. He's got Green Bay taking an offensive lineman, Darnell Wright from Tennessee at 13. Nolan Smith from Georgia going to New England at 14. Emmanuel Forbes to the Pittsburgh Steelers at number 17. Use similar use a similar wording. Say what? McShay has him high. He has him at 16 to the Commanders. Wow. Uh, here's Big what, night ahead. Here's what Mel Kuyper writes about Forbes. One of my favorite prospects in the class, he's a ball hawk. He had 14 picks over three college seasons, including three pick sixes. I'm sorry, six pick sixes. As I wrote before, Steelers fans might be hoping for a Joey Porter Jr., whose dad is a Pittsburgh legend, but I have Forbes rated a little bit higher. Pittsburgh has three picks inside the top 49, and it needs to come out of round two with starters at offensive tackle and corner. Sports Talk Mississippi. Zach Selman, Athletics Director at Mississippi State, will join us next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your all-access pass to all things sports in Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm. Welcome again, 4 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us in the Pearl River Resort Studios Glad to have you along and glad to have still relatively new Mississippi State Athletics Director Zach Selman joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. I'm especially excited about this. I was not around for the uh, first conversation uh, that we had with him. I I did the quick math, 104 days on the job for Zach Selman. Uh, Zach, we really appreciate a a few minutes of your time. Have you been drinking out of a uh, a fire hose for the last 104 days, kind of trying to get things moving in the right direction? It has been like that, and thanks for the reminder. Thanks for having me on. I did not know it's been 104 days. Uh, yeah, a lot of things have uh, learned a lot, have uh, experienced a lot of great food, and met a lot of great people. Uh, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been a fun one. In terms of your agenda, what's at the top of the list as as you you kind of settle in and you meet a bunch of people and you're trying to kind of figure out the lay of the land. But but you settle in as you move toward the first summer, the first off season, and you think about big picture stuff that you want to try to accomplish. What's at the top of the list? Yeah, you know, I think we're still getting to the, the crystallization part of that. You know, first the, the number one thing is always to get in and listen, learn, uh, get to know people, get to know processes on campus, get to know you know our strengths and weaknesses, um, get to know our student athletes and our coaches, and then kind of really. Uh, study where we're at and kind of put us on a path forward. So I think we're about to the, the the phase of it where we have a pretty good picture of, you know, where Mississippi State is right now and where Mississippi State can go. And now it's activating a couple of our plans. You know, clearly there's 
some key pillars that are non-negotiables for us, whether it's uh, graduating our student-athletes or equipping them with tools for life and making sure that we have transformational experiences and then putting our our coaches and our student athletes in positions to win. Like those are all, you know, things that, that are the non-negotiables of it. Uh, but now we're really put together a strategic action plan to make sure that we're tracking our progress towards that. Zach, I know that when you were at your introductory press conference, when we had you on this show before, we talked about NIL and how, how crucial it's going to be. I know what your message is to Mississippi State fans about NIL. What are fans telling you when you talk to them about NIL? You know, the, our fans have been great uh, as far as NIL. I think a lot of it is just uh, understanding more of the, the details of what NIL actually is, you know, how we got here from the national landscape, um, some of the things we've learned, some of the mistakes nationally that have been made, um, how everything was rolled out. And now kind of here's a simplified, scalable way that Mississippi State fans can join and, and assist our, our student-athletes to be able to have and, and maximize their NIL. So um, I've been really uh, – positive uh really kind of affirmed what my gut was telling me on our fan base and what the their thought was of nil and really pleased with how everybody's responded i'm curious how in in conjunction with the the bulldog foundation you you balance like there's a finite amount of money that that's out there right i mean fans are, are generous and, and they're giving but there's only so much money and so when you look at the balance of you know giving to the university versus donating to NIL, what what does that look like going forward, Zach? Yeah, you know, we've got a great donor base. Uh, we've got just over 14,000 active Bulldog Club members, which is really healthy. Um, and clearly we have our season ticket holders. So I think that the main thing is to make sure that we have programs and, and uh, things systems in place where we have uh, – you can't have a one-stop shop anymore. But it's something that, regardless of what your interest might be, that we have an easy way, a scalable way for you to be able to participate. So, yeah, there, there, you're exactly right. There is an infinite amount of resources, and we understand that. And we've we've talked to our, you know our staffs about that. Uh, we can't do everything, but um, one of the things we can do is we we can have um, simple ways and ways that people can understand of hey, this is how you can participate. This is how you can support based on what your interest and what your passions might be as a potential um, investor in the Mississippi State Athletics. Based on conversations that you've had, things that you've read, uh, you know, Texas A&M is probably the first example of, for the most part, kind of bringing their NIL program under their foundation. I know it's a, a little murky still. Do you foresee that that's where this is headed, that as we continue to tweak the NIL process that, this becomes more of a university initiative than an outside collective initiative? Yeah, that's clearly what, you know, the the winds would, would tell us that if we're reading tea leaves from around the country. Um, you know, that's one of the hardest parts of, you know, not just NIL, but any time a change comes across our businesses, what's clarity? And, and you know, everybody's got questions. There's We're all operating um, from different institutions that have different processes, and there's clearly different state laws and county laws. So there's always differences, but then when uh, something like this rolls out, it's always the, the kind of the scrambling. And I think we're all wanting um, great clarity of can, what what should we do, what can we do. Um, and then clearly when uh, there's first movers out there, it makes uh, I think it's all really try to expedite and try to figure out what's the best way for our institutions 
uh, moving forward. And I've always looked at it in this business, always make sure that we put our student athletes first and their health, safety, well-being, their ability to um, advance as an athlete and as a person, um, but also make sure that we're innovators and we're forward thinkers in, in how we uh, provide resources. So still really bullish about some of the programs, conversations, and, and direction that we have here locally at Mississippi State. Um, I know we'll have some uh, things changing here here rather sooner rather than later. Zach, earlier today, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated kind of wet our appetite for college football and the, and the expanded playoff. But closer to home, you know, we're waiting on the SEC to make their decision regarding scheduling for 2024 and beyond. Have you had any conversations with Greg Sankey and those guys at the conference about what scheduling is going to look like for next season? <laughs> yeah, and if you don't mind breaking that news right now, we really just would break appreciate that news it. Just right here, right, right out there. Oh yeah, I got I got no breaking news on that. Uh, but I will say, Commissioner Sankey and, and his entire staff are unbelievable. Um, the, the ability that that he's put us, or the position he's put us in um, to be the premier conference in, in all of college sport um, is, is special. So, of course, as as uh, he gets more information, his team gets more information as it flows through our presidents and chancellors and all of our uh, great television partners, I think we're uh, really excited about what the future will be. So we clearly no decisions have been made yet, but I know uh, Commissioner and his entire team have been great and communicated to all of us of what the direction might be. And so I really appreciated um, his leadership throughout the process. But like like everybody, I think we're all um, excited and, and antsy just to have clarity and so we can uh, then move, have action steps to move forward. So, Zach, in terms of, of representing Mississippi State, do, do you favor a nine-game schedule or do you prefer eight as it exists now? Yeah, there's still a couple things, uh, I think, to be worked out. You know, as I look at it, it's always, okay, what's, uh, best for our student athletes, what's great for our fan base, and also what gives us the best pathway to the postseason. Um, so th- those are still a couple of, uh, I guess, data points that we need to know before I could say which way I, I really lean. Um, but I know we're getting really close to having kind of the last data points. And uh, one of the great things about Mississippi State is we got a, a plugged-in leader, a leader like Dr. Keenum who uh, loves college athletics, who understands college athletics and I know is representing this very well, too, um, in, in the room of presidents and chancellors. A couple of minutes left with Zach Selman, Athletics Director at Mississippi State, and we certainly appreciate your time. I, I'm curious, when I think about the two guys that you have worked under previously, Bubba Cunningham at North Carolina, Joe Castiglione at Oklahoma, two of the most respected men and good men in, uh, in all of college athletics, what is something specific? that you learned from each of them that helped prepare you for this job? Yeah, and something, uh, thanks for the question, just, you know, forever grateful for both Bob and Joe. I think, you know, starting with Joe always taught me to, to dream big and to think about things on a grand scale. He was a marketing background. Uh, funny, he started as a Maryland Terp and hmm. started off just slinging uh, bumper stickers on people's cars, even even cars that he probably wasn't supposed to put bumper stickers on. But <laughs> he's always got that, that marketing uh, background of how you can have great experiences for for everybody, fans, students, uh, you name it. Bubba's always just been great as far as taking complex problems and making them simple. Um, he's, he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever been around. He's also one of the, the uh, – 
funniest guys, starting with his name. He's uh, he's about five six, five seven, somewhere in there. And I'm like, hey, how's your name, Bubba? I thought Bubba was supposed to be like six eight, three hundred. Uh, but <laughs> Bubba's just got a, a unique way to connect with people. And again, he's he's uh, selfless. Uh, always puts others first. So uh, I lean on those guys every day. Last thing, thirty seconds left. We talked about the first hundred days. What do the next hundred days look like for you? Yeah, next hundred days are really putting some of our plans in action. Um, have again have learned so much in in the first hundred days, and, and now it's really excited about. We have a couple new staff members on on the team, a couple new leaders uh, within the department. So now it's really uh, continuing to stay engaged, and clearly want to see how our our teams uh, keep going through postseason. Uh, but really put some of these action steps and prepare us for uh, the next upcoming school year. We'll be here before we know it. There's a lot between now and then, but we get from uh, from right now to the first weekend in September in a hurry. No question about that. Zach, say, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us this afternoon, and we look forward to uh, continuing to catch up with you. Perfect. Thanks so much. Hail State. Zach Selman, Athletics Director at Mississippi State, joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Some place for crazy people. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. to Zach Selman for joining us on the Farm Bureau Guest Line. Good conversation with him, Athletics Director at Mississippi State. I didn't like pull a calendar and actually count those. I went to the whole uh, uh, timeanddate.com. You can calculate the time between days and came up with 104. So uh, there you go. Hired on January 13th officially, or was announced January 13th at, uh, at Mississippi State. Um. We said after his introductory press conference, and I stand beside this, everything Mississippi State needed to hire an AD. Looks the part, sounds the part, understands the importance of fundraising, going to work well with, everybody's going to like him. All all of those things are good. There's so much we don't know about Zach Selman. So much. He hasn't had to make a difficult decision yet. He hasn't had to fire a coach. He hasn't had to hire a coach. He hasn't had to um, really plead for money from from donors or or for NIL, whether it's for facilities projects or NIL or, or, or whatever else. There's so much unknown there. And hey, Dad, yeah. like like from a if you went and got a master's degree in how to talk as an athletics director. He, he was like the star of the class based on that conversation. Yeah. I don't know that we learned anything deep down. Borky pointed out to me in the break that there's one thing that maybe stood out. Borky, what was that for you? Yeah, well, the one thing that stood out was talking about expanding conference schedules. He said they're waiting for data points. And my guess would be it's really one data point, and it's how much more money. Yeah. But but that's that's <laughs> yeah. been sold as done deal. Remember? I mean, that's how it's been reported. Done deal, done deal. Hmm. Ross Dellinger, what was it, two weeks ago on, on this show or last week said, I don't 
know about that. It's, it's not a done deal. And then yeah, I, I Zach think, Zellman comes I think on the Alabama show and Alabama raising says, their oh. hand. Yeah. I think Alabama raising their hand has everybody sort of wanting to now, I'm actually gonna, a little bit. I actually disagree with you on that. I don't think Alabama okay. raising its hand has changed anything. I, I, I really don't. And, and the idea that Nick Saban and Alabama are the tail that wags the dog in terms of the conference, people outside may think that and may believe that. But you got 13 or 15, depending on whether or not you count Texas and Oklahoma at this point, ADs, that are not being manipulated by Nick Saban and what Alabama wants and what Greg Byrne wants. They're just not. They're making their decision and their vote is based on what they believe is best for their school. Nobody gives a rip what Nick Saban wants and what he thinks is best. I'm telling you. I mean, I don't disagree with that. You know, I don't think that Zach Selman's like, well, what does Alabama want? But I think the conference. Mm -mm. I disagree. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with you then. That's fine. That's That's fine. fine. Uh, We'll see where it goes. I mean, I think ultimately it gets to nine games and more money. And and, and that's going to be what wins the day. And then, and and like I said, my question after that becomes, what do you do with the power five games you've already, are you going to play 10 power five games a year? Yep. Or are you going to have to figure out a way to buy some teams out? I don't know. Nope. I think it's going to be nine plus a Power 5 game. Well, isn't that the data point that they're waiting on? Perhaps. That's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for a lot of teams to make bowls. I I am glad, though. I I really am glad that some of these schools, at least one, are not all on board yet. They they want to know if it's worth it first before they just sign off on making the schedule tougher. I, I like that. Yeah. I thought Zach Selman checked some boxes, too. He, he checked the uh, strategic plan box, the stakeholders, student-athlete box. <laughs> he had a ton of buzzwords that were uh, were great. I, so refreshing to, uh, to talk with Zach Selman. And I, it's like you want to, hey, Dad, you want to pull out the crystal ball and look into the future. And see what Mississippi State Athletics... Look, look, you can only have so much dictated by an AD. right? I mean, he, he's not going out and winning games or not winning games. But in terms of, of culture within the department and staff hires, both on the coaching staff side and on the administration side, that's the t- stuff that kind of shapes what the overall department looks like and what the direction looks like and what growth looks like. And... I would think, I mean, as you sit there in your chair, as many other Mississippi State fans sit there in their chair, looking 12 to 18 months into the future of what Mississippi State athletics looks like under Zach Selman's leadership and how that's different from John Cohen and how it's different from Scott Strickland before that and Greg Byrne before that and Larry Templeton before that. What kind of a stamp is he going to put on this department? Yeah. I mean, he's got you know a couple of big ticket items. You know, uh, people want to see Chris Shans get a, get a, get a raise and an extension. That's been something that's been brought up. I believe that's in the works. They're just trying to hammer out the last details, maybe get some more data points. Uh, you know, and then we'll see with Purcell. Obviously, with baseball, I feel like regardless of everything, there's going to be some changes there that you know you're going to have to make make decisions on. So you have that. And then, like we said, with NIL, it's just something every day, right? It's you know, There's never enough money. You need people to, to, to buy into that. 
So that's a, that's a never-ending fight for him and his staff to try to get people on board. But like you said, like you asked him, and they, they still want money to come into the Bulldog Club. They still want money to come into the university. You know, Mississippi State last week uh, got a uh, what a $100 million gift from an alum, uh, George Bishop. But none of that was not athletics. athletics related. No, none of it. Not not a penny going towards athletics. So it becomes the question of can we get can you get somebody like that on board that that's a that's a sports fan. I'm sure those conversations are being had, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. What do people want from Zach Selman? You know. My, my, my guess is that they just want to see Mississippi State continue to outperform its its budget. I mean, Mississippi State is a program, you know, football-wise, towards the bottom of the conference in money. But they are the, you know, with the third longest bowl streak in the conference, and they won nine games and finished in the top 25 a year ago. You know, basketball, sort of the same thing, and yet they were in the NCAA tournament last year. You know, baseball is what it is. Obviously, they want to get better in baseball. And then, you know, to continue to see facilities improving and continuing to see Mississippi State marketing and branding becoming a bigger deal. I think they want to see a different logo, but that's just me. Um, and then. You're about the M State logo? You know, just, yeah, I hate, I hate the banner. I'm a, I'm a state script kind of guy. Um, Banner's bad. It's I, I, bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's off center. By the way, have you ever noticed that? Yes. Look at it. The A, the A is off center. It's not, it's not right with the, the center of the M. Once you see it, you'll never unsee it. Richard's looking it up right now. We're going to get a live reaction. But, and I think with, with also with some, you know, they, they want to see MSU, you know, maybe become a school that doesn't have to overachieve. That maybe they just become a school that achieves. You know, that they, they, they raise money and then everything goes up with it. You see it? So the, so the A is just bumped a touch to the left as you look at it? Yeah. Yeah. Why? I have no idea. Does that have to do with but like once a you font notice and the way a letter leans or something? Maybe, but I'm just telling you, once you notice it, you can't notice it. Like when I go to the football stadium and look at the middle of the field, it's the first thing I notice. Sorry, I'm like like doing the one eye thing, trying to like really yeah. focus in on it. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. It is huh. 100% off center. It's like a magic eye. Once you get hey, the magic so eye, you can't critical. not see it. I know. So you want Script State? You don't even want interlocking MSU to come back. I mean, no, I, I like the interlocking. It's fine, but I like the I like the idea of branding as state. Yeah, I, I like the idea of just telling Michigan State and NC State, nope, we're state. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in in the South, especially in the SEC. I mean, when you say state, who are you talking about? Everybody knows. Not Louisiana State. No. Yeah. What's the Egg Bowl? It's state versus Ole Miss, right? Well, yes. That's so. how I look at it. Yeah. And you don't want the you don't want the baseball MS interlocking to be. I like the M over S, but that looked good on the football. I, I wouldn't mind that, but I, I like I, it. Looked good on the football helmet. There's no question about that. But I, I prefer that that script state. I really do like that logo. Okay. That M you you weren't prepared really to ask good. Zach Selman if he was thinking about marketing changes like to university branding, about committing to that. No, that's that's a hot button topic. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Ceasefire text line is open to you at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business, backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do. That's right here in Ceasefire country. James in Hattiesburg says, use script. Follow Ole Miss. James in Hattiesburg. Uh, script, state, or bust. It's another message. Uh, Chris and Meridian, Mississippi State is the worst logo in the SEC. Give me M over S or interlocking MSU any day. Deep side from Haydad on State following Ole Miss by going with script. We'll be back. It's time for more Sports Talk Mississippi. Finally. Finally. On Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app, and at supertalk.fm. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, thanks for being with us. Streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. I got a story for you that Michael Borky's going to be big mad about. He does not like when the fun police roll in and try to take cool things away from sports. What's Sankey doing now? Is that a fair description yeah. of you? Yeah, what's Sankey doing now? Oh, no, 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 no. Not Greg Sankey. This is Rob Manfred. Oh, great. The Atlanta Braves were given a big hat. You've seen the big hats. They're so goofy. On opening day by a local memorabilia collector. He gave the hat to Ozzie Albies and A.J. Minter during opening weekend. And that has become the Braves' home run celebration. They hit one, and when they get back to the dugout, they throw on the big hat. Mm. New Era, which is the official hat provider of Major League Baseball, complained to Major League Baseball about another hat that was not paying for the right to be an official hat of Major League Baseball, and it has been taken away. The Homer hat, the big hat, no longer a thing. It became a, had become a fan favorite in just a few short weeks, inspiring social media content. Fans noticed the absence of the hat this week, drawing negative feedback on social media, knowing wanting to know what the deal was. And the Braves confirmed to WSB-TV in Atlanta that Major League Baseball nixed the celebration because of the request from New Era. Mm. What a great way to get people to want to buy your products. Man, I I, I just don't understand it with these people. You, you, baseball finally got an off-season win. When is the last time Major League Baseball got an off-season win? I told you Borky would get mad. When is the last time? I mean, you had the World Baseball Classic, which was awesome. And the stars in the World Baseball Classic were all your players. Right? Major League Baseball got a huge win during the WBC. Crowds were great. Mm-hmm. Games were great. And you had the best player in a century, on the mound, 
striking out what's been the best hitter in the league since he's arrived. Most consistent, anyway. Mm -hmm. And then you did the clock thing. And while some purists push back on it, the early returns are great. People really love good. it. Yeah, game's moving faster. And people really like it. And then you and then you take away the fun things that are happening. What is wrong with you? Just embrace joy in sports. Keep Borky, keep Borky going here. Did you see this thing with the Pirates the other day, speaking of the pitch clock? So a guy, no. I don't know the, the, the player's the, name, been a career minor leaguer, right? Been yeah. in the minors for like 10, 11 years. 1,155 games in the minor leagues and finally got called up. Finally gets called up, gets his first at bat. The crowd and, and his teammates are recognizing him as finally this journey has come to an end. Your first major league at bat gets called for a pitch clock violation. Ball one. Wait, I thought the umpire like stepped out of the box and allowed the, the crowd to nah. like, kind of welcome him also. Uh, uh, no, he he, uh, he, got, he, got, he, got, he got hit with the violation. So strike one on a pitch clock violation. Or strike one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's, welcome to the welcome to the bigs. James in uh, Hattiesburg says, "I was watching two days ago when Albie's hit a home run, and I wanted to see the hat. I'm serious. I wondered where it went." Uh, Ceasefire text line. I haven't watched MLB since Rafael Palmero retired, and this hat thing is even getting me fired up. Another one. So the Angels had a cowboy hat all last season, and nothing was said. I guess Stetson or Resistall is not a direct competitor to New Era. Maybe. How about this New Era? Make a big hat. Yeah. That seems like a simple fix. Just send know, them a hat. Hey, Dad, we need to be in marketing if this doesn't work out because that's all New Era has to do. Hey, Braves, here's a big hat. Hey, we. We love the tradition, but you do have to use our licensed equipment. But here's a big hat, yeah. and we're sending one to every team in case they want it. Mm. Bingo. So easy. Instead, we got people in marketing doing things that have no grasp of understanding of their audience. More uh, Gallo tomorrow at 6. But you got I mean, the you wrong think people like in a, marketing, man. Do you think there's a patent on the big hat? It's a hat. I imagine that would be hard to patent, but maybe. Yeah, like... I watch enough Shark How can you Tank. Patent it. You know, no. maybe there's somebody out there with a size 15 and a half head. Barbara's maybe already out. That by market. The way. Big hat. I'm out. Yeah, they're not. A, Don't they're like not, a big hat. They're they're not good. No, but Barbara doesn't like they're not, anything. They're not Bar very functional. Bar Barbara's never in on the deals. She's always hmm. out. Oh, you make a profit? Ah, for that, I'm out. Like nothing can convince her to buy anything. <laughs> Is it Barbara Corcoran? Yeah. Is that, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, she's done okay. Oh, she has. But for a reality show, and they're all scripted, including that one. Those are real companies, really pitching, mm -hmm. and they invest their real money. I mean, that 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 aspect of it is very real. So I don't There's feel some as pretty guilty fascinating behind-the-scenes stories for Shark Tank. Some of the manipulation that goes on, and how some of the uh, companies don't end up getting a deal. But some of the smart companies also use that as just a marketing tool for their brands. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I watched one the other day where the guy, I forget what his product was, but he had no intention of signing a deal with any of them. None. Mm -hmm. He just wanted to get people to see his deal. Yeah. The Scrub Daddy, by the way, the most successful thing that they did, it's a little sponge with a smiley yeah. face on it, and it's made out of a certain material 
you cannot destroy the sponge. You, you can't no. do it. It is the most durable sponge, and it can clean anything. It's a staple in the Hey Dad household. They're, they are awesome. Yeah, we have, we have really? a scrub daddy. Yeah, and it was a shark yeah, tank. You need that. Oh, yeah. Cheap Never. and effect, oh. something that's cheap and works, buddy. You just you just crack the code. I mean, you can have burnt on food on the bottom of your skillet, like burnt on, and you can just yeah. grind that can, thing to death, rinse it off in the sink, and grease. it's done. It's done. Scrub it's Daddy now makes invention. a barbecue scrubber as well for your grill. I need to get one. I need to get one. There you go. Um, I thought Ring was the most successful. That's right. Ring was, on Ring was on there too. Yeah. DDP Yoga was on there. Do you still do that? Nah, I need to get back to it. Mm. Yeah, so add another layer of weight loss to my 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 process. How's that? My going? doctor today was very happy with me. Oh, she was she was ecstatic when she saw me. She's like, "You look great. You've lost a lot of weight." I was like, "Long way to go." We're not taking compliments at this stage. Hey, every We're, marathon that's run starts with one step, right? That's what they say. Words of wisdom from Michael Borky. So where are you now? Yeah. 47. Down 47. Let's go. Dude, you're closing in on half a hundy. Yeah. I, I got another half to go before I, I feel anywhere halfway decent. Okay. You've lost like an entire five-year-old. <laughs> Think yeah. Think about it like that. Yeah. I, I know I keep asking you this. Do, you. do you feel better? I feel fine, yeah. I feel really good. Like this app I use, they give you a... Yeah, like my next my next goal will be I've lost the weight of a microwave. Like, That's a heavy microwave. It's a heavy microwave at, at the... at the uh, Well, I guess, yeah, at the 50-pound mark. But okay. Whatever. So are you down a, a shirt size, a pant size? Are you having to wear the belt yeah, tighter? Yeah, it's... It's really funny. So I went to St. Louis. It was really embarrassing. Like I couldn't. I was doing like the girl laying on the bed thing to get my jeans on. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I was like, this is so embarrassing. So I, at that point, I was like, when we get to the new year, I'm gonna start losing weight. But I had to have pants. So I ordered like four pairs of jeans going up a size. Yeah, they're all. I can't wear them now. Mm. So I just wasted that money. <laughs> I got I got about a month and a half out of them. Well, now I'm back. Now I'm wearing the jeans I was wearing before. I'm so I'm down a pant size, and at the rate I'm going, I'll be down another pant size maybe by mid-May. Okay. Is this the longest that you have stuck with a plan? Because you've gone through the whole. I, I want to lose yeah, a few of these before. I, I, I think I went long, longer once, and I got down. I wish I had been at that weight when I started, because you know, I was like at 320, and I got down to like 285 or something. Yeah, but this is yeah. I'm doing good so far. But this feels so much healthier than what you did last time, where you just stopped eating. Yeah, you you did the Joe Moorhead thing where you were like one meal. I was like, yeah, come on, man, that's not healthy. Yeah, I do. I've eaten lunch today, and uh, I'll eat dinner tonight. I I had to skip breakfast. I had to go to the doctor. So, okay. Are you normally two meals a day? At least two. Yeah. I get, okay. There are some days I get three because because there's not a lot of calories in the bowl in that dry bowl. I was going to say your dry cereal that you eat with a spoon, you freak. 150 calories in a cup and a half of Cheerios. Hey, let's hear it for Hey Dad on the, uh, the the C Spire text line. I mean, tip of the cap. Dwayne and Brandon says, did that trip yeah. to the golf set you back? Like I said, if alcohol didn't have calories, I'd have done really well. Mm. 
Somebody wants to know what the plan is. Hey, Dad, what weight loss plan you're on. We'll talk about that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. More coming up. More Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's go time. Sports Talk Mississippi. Well, say something. Super Talk Mississippi. We're going to jump back to the Farm Bureau phone line in just a moment. But, hey, Dad, I had that question before the break. Somebody was curious about the um, the weight loss uh, plan that you were losing or that you were using to I mean, lose. Yes. It's very simple. I just watch my calories. Yeah, but you got to do more than watch them. I mean, you got. I use this app called Lose It to track my calories, and I stay under every day except for last weekend. Uh, ceasefire text line from Kenny P. Vacation calories don't count. Bobby in Batesville says a microwave doesn't do it justice. You will have lost the equivalent of a bully at 50 pounds. Joe in Meridian says three cheers for Hey Dad for losing weight. Here's another one. Congrats on the weight loss, 270 to 195. Myself took a year. I've been at 195 for 15 years now. That's awesome. That's that's goals right there. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, all right, let's check in with Hunter Dawkins on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. He writes at the Gazebo Gazette. You can read his work online at supertalk.fm. We have made it to draft night, Hunter. What are the Saints going to do? Are they going to sit tight or are they going to trade up? Gentlemen, it's great to see you guys, great to hear from you guys. It's, uh, it's always a great, uh, great to be on this show and especially for draft day. It's uh, it's like Christmas for the NFL. Um, I take every bit of selection on what the the general manager uh, Mickey Loomis said yesterday. Uh, he doesn't normally talk like this, but I guess he just wanted a little bit of a verification of the media. He said yesterday that his defensive linemen, tight ends, and linebackers were all three big priorities for the Saints and. From my my level of thought, the draft pick is going to be in the the that it's going to be twenty nine. Uh, he said he doesn't really apparently does not want to trade up, and it, him and the, the director of scouting, Jeff Ireland, have a formula that has lasted for about a decade and it works every time. And of course, to that I have to agree. Uh, they've had some pretty good drafts the last few years. They have. I, I would certainly agree with that, and I think in a lot of respects, Mickey Loomis does as good a job kind of managing that roster and the salary cap as, as much as anybody. Uh, using a, a different uh, metaphor, Hunter, people say, you know, in a boxing match, everybody's got a plan, right, until they get punched. So That's right. That's right. Everybody's got a plan going into the draft, but sometimes it gets interesting based on other things that happen. If we were to see a quarterback slip, like really slip. Is there a scenario where you think the Saints, you know, let's say um, uh, let's say Anthony Richardson somehow falls into the mid-teens or C.J. Stroud doesn't go as high as people think he's going to do where the Saints might go, hmm, okay, here's an opportunity, let's jump. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, one of the things that Mickey said yesterday 
uh, reporter asked a question, uh, you know, how do you guys point that out? He said, look, we have a board where we have five different players in each position for that round. And if we get to that level, the three picks before, and that there's a player that everybody wants is available, that's usually what they go for. Um, with a quarterback situation, I'm not necessarily sure the first round would be something the Saints would look into. Now, tomorrow, if Hendon Hooker is still on the board, the Saints, as you know, have the 40th pick, I think there might be some questions among that. Um, I was looking at Mel Kuyper's draft. We were looking at Mel Kuyper's draft a second ago. One of the areas that you mentioned a second ago, defensive tackle, he's got Mozzie Smith from Michigan going there. Uh, Peter Schrager, uh, in his projection of New Orleans in the first round, he had them taking Sam Laporta, the tight end from Iowa. Any buzz on either of those names? No, not not necessarily. I'm, I'm hearing a lot more uh, from my draft selection that I wrote out last night. I'm hearing a lot more of on Iowa's defensive end, Lucas Van Ness. There's a lot of talk among the Saints reporters in, and also uh, – with a staff member that, that I know of, that they said, keep your eye on that prize with that. And if you know if the Pittsburgh defensive tackle Kalia Canty drops down a little bit, um, and Miles Murphy, you never know that those are both big names on their on their board as well. All right, we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out. Hey, what is the what's the plan for Saints fans tonight? I, like I saw earlier, I mean, obviously the big draft stuffs in Kansas City. I saw Houston had a huge setup for their fans to come in. What's the setup for Saints fans in uh, in New Orleans? They have a huge. The Saints actually organization put this together. They put a huge crawfish boil for a bunch of different restaurants. I would give you that information if I personally had it. But the Saints organization uh, has about four or five different restaurants around East Louisiana that they put out there that they're going to be having crawfish boils, and that uh, that's something that uh, Saints fans look forward to. But I don't think the Saints need to be worried about uh, – Saints fans don't need to be worried about moving up because from what Loomis said, <laughs> he said, unless, unless if there's something out there, we're staying where we're at. Plenty of time to eat that crawfish tonight. Hunter, always good to catch up. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, my friend. Talk Mississippi. Here we we go, go. Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Thursday with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sports book at the Golden Moon. Be a great place to watch draft coverage tonight if that is your thing. You can uh, belly up to the bar. You can grab one of the uh, the comfortable chairs in there. You got food. You can get in on some action with the NBA playoffs going on. You got some college baseball happening tonight. All of that available to you at the sportsbook at the Golden Moon Casino. To learn more about them, visit Pearl River Resort dot com. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. Find them online at genteelapparel.com. dot Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. 
They've got the collegiate collection, so you can look your best on game day or any day with your team's logo tastefully done on golf shirts and pullovers and more, but also the spring collection. New patterns, new stripes, great-looking stuff from Genteel Apparel. They will be at Landry's on the square in Oxford this Saturday for Double Decker. Trunk show going on. Mentioned this to you earlier in the week. If you purchase $300 or more worth of Genteel apparel while you're at Landry's, I've got a really cool gift for you. It's a uh, Yeti tumbler, the, the taller glass, not, not the not the short, stocky one, but the one that's like 24 ounces taller, uh, and it's got the uh, Genteel logo etched onto it. Really good-looking deal, and a nice gift for you if you happen to be shopping anyway. Check them out at Landry's on the Square in Oxford. This Saturday is part of Double Decker. That's Genteel Apparel and GenteelApparel.com. What do you say, boys? We get into a little college football fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Trucks like the F-150, 46 straight years. That's how long F-Series has been the number one selling truck in America. If you're looking for an SUV, you've got the Explorer, the Expedition, the Crossover, the Ford Edge. Test drive one today. We got news today, a little more news about the college football playoff. When will the games be played? The first round of the 2024 expanded playoff will be the third week of December. Okay, so you've got conference championship games, first weekend in December, and then an open date, which I guess Army and Navy will still play that second weekend in December. And then in week three of December, you will have quarterfinal games. There will be one game on Friday and three games on Saturday. So you will get a Friday night primetime game and then three windows on Saturday. That will be, what, noon Eastern and then probably 4 o'clock Eastern and then 8 o'clock Eastern? It's just a guess. But, but roughly, you'll get a full day of college football quarterfinal games on the third Saturday, college football quarterfinal playoff games on the third Saturday of December. Semifinal games will be on weekdays to avoid the NFL wild card weekend. I think that's going to mean Friday night. Maybe Thursday night and Friday night? Thursday you want to go and Friday. Yeah. Two nights in a row and not do a doubleheader on a Friday? Yeah, that seems most likely. Uh, and the the quarterfinal games that you mentioned, those will be up against NFL games as well, although regular season. But they're just going to have to wear that. I would, I would argue that they should start these sooner than they will. But, oh well, this is what they're doing. But going against the NFL, Wait, you, you'd say start, start them what? A week sooner, right? Don't isn't there a two week gap in between the conference championship games? One week. And... What one week? Conference championship games are the first weekend in December, the weekend after Thanksgiving. So where's the two week gap? Is it to the national championship? Yes, to okay. the semifinals. Yes. So so you'll have a two week gap between the quarterfinals and the semis. So you shouldn't do that. That that's they they need. I think 
what would be best for college football and viewership and stuff, and of course that means money, and money goes to Ole Miss and State, uh, would to avoid that two-week gap. Stop competing with uh, well, try well, hold your hold hold That's not right. That's not right, Borky. It's not right. Week three of December is when the, the quarterfinals will be. Let's, let's the, semifinals, the semifinals so will be on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve. And then the championship game in 2024, that's where you get the two-week window. It doesn't happen until January 20th. But, but isn't there a two-week gap from the conference championship games to the first college, the first playoff games? There's a there's an open week in between. Yes, they should eliminate that. Is what I was saying initially. You, you got me all screwed up now. That's oh, what sorry. I was saying. Yeah. Then they like then they like giving Army Navy that day. Yeah. Well, you know. And plus, you let everybody have a bye week. Borky the Russian coming in strong. But the point is, because we're going to have Borky, we're no longer like to see Army Navy played. And I saw it in the replies to some of this stuff as well. They're going to play games during the week because competing with NFL playoffs is stupid. And they know that. And doing it would be stupid. And I know a lot of people out there, oh, I don't like the NFL. I wouldn't watch it. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, 30 million people like it. It's okay. Uh, you're, I mean, I, I get it. But at the same time, I would not watch a minute of the NFL if the college football playoffs were on. And, and there are a lot of people like you. I'm, but there are. I'm the outlier. I know. I know. But So they're, they're going to have to do be. it that way if they want to get a captive audience. And, you know, Thursday night college football playoff sounds pretty good. I mean, I'm watching. I'm watching. Oh, sounds pretty good. Oh, my, I mean, my favorite part of Ross's uh, info today was the, the the mock bracket of what it would have looked like last year. Great games. Here it is. Great games. Here it is. Yeah, these are the games that you would have had last year if we had had a twelve team playoff. In the number five seed versus number twelve seed. Michael Pratt and the Tulane Green Wave would have been in Fort Worth to take on TCU at Amon G. Carter Stadium. 5-12 upset. Winner of that game would have met Utah in the Fiesta Bowl. In the 8-9 game, left side of the bracket, the number 9 seed Kansas State Wildcats would have been in Knoxville to take on the number 8 seed Tennessee Vols at Neyland Stadium with the winner meeting the overall number 1 seed Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. A Georgia-Tennessee rematch, probably. Well, I don't know. Tennessee probably still would have won, but it would have been close. Kansas State would have given them a game. Yeah, no Hendon Hooker in that game. Right, right. You would have not had On the right side of the bracket in the 10-7 game down at the bottom, the number 10 seed, Southern Cal Trojans, would have packed their bags and gotten on airplanes and loaded up the trucks, and they would have headed east and south oh. to Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. That would have been the ultimate. Southern Cal, Alabama, with the winner of that game in the Rose Bowl, Meeting number two overall seed Michigan. And the winner of that game would have beaten the number two overall seed Michigan. 
And finally, in the 6-10 game, you would have had a Big Ten rematch with the number 11 seed. I'm sorry, 6-11 game. Number 11 seed Penn State headed to the horseshoe in Columbus, Ohio, to take on the 6 seed Ohio State. And the winner of that game would have traveled to Atlanta a couple of weeks later for a quarterfinal game in the Peach Bowl against Clemson. Now, hearing all that, there are people in our field, one that is an occasional guest on this show, who? Barrett Salee, who argues that this should not happen. There I are love people, Barrett, but what a schmuck opinion. Uh, there are people in our field that look at that. There are people, Chase and Columbus, you're one of them, that Texas shows sometimes and look at that and say, nah, that's not how it should be. And that just absolutely blows my mind. This is going I'm to not, be incredible. I'm not sure who George is playing in the Orange Bowl in the semifinal, but I'm probably got Alabama, Ohio State in the other semifinal. I mean, come on. I don't come know, man. Tulane might hey, upset hey, TCU hey, in this scenario, but, too. But, but hold on a second. Yeah. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. A far more engaged and a full USC roster. Yeah. In Tuscaloosa with Caleb Williams taking on Alabama fun. and that defense. And then in the Rose Bowl, you're either going to get Alabama-Michigan. What a sight that is in the Rose Bowl. Or you're going to get a traditional Rose Bowl. You're going to get a Pac-12 versus a mm. Big Ten. USC-Michigan. It doesn't get any more traditional than that. Mm. What if you get Ohio State? What if What if the game Ohio State and Georgia had was the national championship game? Whew. I mean, what are we doing? Implement this now. There's only one problem with this. I don't mean to. I don't mean to pour negativity onto greatness. But there's one problem. We'll discuss it when we come back on Sports Talk Mississippi. Your number one for sports talk. Anyone? 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 Come on, don't be shy. Sports talk, Mississippi. Bingo, man, bingo. Super talk, Mississippi. All right, I said there's one problem with the 12-team model. And it's not a new problem, right? We've talked about this before. Do you know how good it's going to be to have those four first-round on-site, on-campus games? In the scenario from last year, your stadiums would have been Neyland, Eamon G. Carter, the Horseshoe, and Bryant-Denny. Those would have been your four stadiums last year. One of those is not like the other, by the way. That's 300,000-seat stadiums and then like 45, but still. Yes, yes, you you are correct. still, they earned it. But... Give me Sanford Stadium, Rice-Eccles Stadium, Death Valley in Clemson, and the Big House for the quarterfinals. Would be better. Would be better. No question about it. That's a way you... You can't argue that. You can't argue it. That's one way to make it better. It would be better. Now, there's another thing to talk about. Some of the comments to Ross Dellinger's tweet of the bracket earlier were pointing out, hey, it's really stupid that 
you don't take the top four teams and give them the four buys. But it has to go to conference champions. Like, there's no way in their mind that Clemson should have been the number three ahead of Ohio State, who was in the top four last year. To which I would say, well, one, win your conference championship game. Get there and win it. Two, I like leaving value on the conference championship weekend. It's fun. Borky and I were kicking this around in the break. SEC title game last year was a lot of fun. Pac-12 championship game was a lot of fun. Big 12 championship game was great. The ACC and the Big Ten kind of stunk. But, 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 if we do away with divisions, and it feels like everybody's in the process of doing away with divisions, and all of your conference championship games are one versus two, you have a chance to take that from a, that's a really fun weekend, to another epic weekend yeah. in college football. Because that's the one thing that college football does poorly. It does a lot of great things. The pageantry, the tradition, your connection to the schools, the games mm-hmm. are awesome, the chaos, the volume of games. That's definitely one thing college football has on the NFL. There's more games. There's more of them. So if you can flip your channels and find the best ones, it just it does so much good. Except for the postseason. The oh, by post-season. the way, I need to raise my hand and ask a question. Yeah. I, I'm completely derailing your thoughts, so you have to forgive me. Please. It's not news. Not the first time. Should the SEC, are you moving the title game to Nashville when the new stadium's in place instead of playing it in Atlanta anymore? That's a good question. Yes. I feel like that new stadium in Atlanta was built for the SEC championship game, almost more than it was for the Falcons, for a Super Bowl. to be honest with you. Yeah, for Super Bowls and, and these big events. But do you do you give Nashville one? I don't see why you wouldn't. You go back and forth, or do you move it permanently? Permanently. I don't think you move it permanently. Because the, the, the Atlanta Stadium is still an elite stadium. It's not like it's... It is. No, it's know, great. Fulton County. But, yeah. But I, downtown I Atlanta is a disaster, you, and downtown Nashville is a mecca. Is not, yes. So I don't know. I don't know. Downtown Atlanta has become horrible. Sorry. Anyway. Anyway, Um, Sorry. uh, Carry on. Unpause. Untimeout. Unpause. The the one thing college football does poorly is postseason. Conference championship weekends, while we watch the SEC championship, sometimes it kind of feels like a formality. Uh, but the other ones have lost their luster. You mentioned the Big Ten Championship. I mean, Northwestern has made it recently. Purdue made it last year. It's been non-competitive. The Western Division of the Big Ten's a joke, or at least it has been recently. The ACC Championship has been kind of a waste of time. That weekend where every single game has playoff stakes on it immediately enhances that Saturday gives us another weekend of college football where everything matters. Just means more. Whatever. Because right now, it's not maximized. But, I agree. But if if Clemson doesn't win the ACC championship, they don't get a bye, well, then suddenly watching them play North Carolina is like, hey, there's, there's something on this game here. This matters. Makes a difference. If Alabama and Georgia are meeting in the SEC championship... 
the loser has to play an opening round game. The winner gets a bye, and, and an already spicy game that we watch and we like has just a little bit extra. Because if you didn't make conference champions matter for who gets the first four buys, there might be some reluctance to give your best effort or have a guy that rolled his ankle play it play through that. You might rest a guy for a week because, hey, we're number four. If we lose, we'll be number three. So do I really need to play my star wide receiver who's got a bum ankle this week? Nah, probably not. Mm. Changes it a little bit. Increase stakes, increase interest, and increase fun. Less less opt outs too on on football teams in these twelve. You would think so. Yeah, we're, we're going to playoff games. Twelve teams involved. Yeah. Elite teams. Yeah. Players going to hang around. I mean, you'll have a few that opt out. Yeah. Would uh, see ceasefire text line? Would schools hosting the first round of football playoff get to keep the ticket money or give it to the NCAA like women's basketball and baseball? It wouldn't be to the NCAA. My guess is that ticket revenue would go to the college football playoff and then would be distributed among the schools. Because you're going to have guaranteed payouts, and that's going to be tied to ticket revenue. Yeah, you're going to get a cut, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all of the expenses associated with hosting the game will be covered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're probably not, I say probably. I mean, are you having to share the concession revenue? I, I don't know. I don't know. So fun to think about. Yeah, it is. It's my favorite speculative thing what we do. When we start talking about it, I just get I just get warm inside. I'm just like <laughs> Because generally speaking, you don't like to do like the hypothetical let's speculate on something that well, might never happen. Never mind it's like that. this is gonna happen. Never mind that. I don't like to do the whole college football playoff expansion, NIL you know, conference real I I can't deal with it. But this, I'll, I'll, I, I'm in. I'm in. The thought of these games last year, I mean, they would have been incredible. Tulane and TCU, how are you not locked into that? Alabama, Southern Cal, that's that's an, that's an incredible matchup that you're very rarely going to get in the regular season. You know, I mean, they, these are fantastic. A rematch of Ohio State and Penn State, yes, for blood. Let's go. Ross Dellinger wrote in his story, commissioners determine preliminary dates for the additional playoff games of the expanded college football playoff voting to hold first-round games that conflict with the NFL and semifinals on midweek nights. Bill Hancock confirmed the dates during an interview with reporters. So in the 2024 playoff, first-round games played at the home side of the better seed will kick off the third week of December, one game on Friday night, December 20th, and three games on Saturday, December 21st. The NFL begin begins playing Saturday regular season games that weekend. I think you're okay to go college football playoff quarterfinals against regular season NFL games. Yeah, and my guess would be they'd prefer to play those early. But, but would you? Because there's more of them. Would you rather have your game involved with 15 or up against the prime time. It's an interesting you'll thing that you'll, you'll do three windows. Oh, yeah. You'll do you three win- three you're not putting windows, them head to head. You're going to have three windows. You got three games. Yeah, that'll right be tough. No- noon, four, and eight. That, that will draw some casuals away, but you got to play the games. So Three of the four quarterfinal games are slated for New Year's Day with one quarterfinal scheduled on New Year's Eve, which is a Tuesday night, or January 2nd, which would be a Thursday night. 
None of them conflict with NFL games. So you're going to have three Tuesday night, New Year's Eve quarterfinal games. No, that's not right. Three New Year's Day quarterfinal games. A quarterfinal that happens, and then the other one will happen either on New Year's Eve or January 2nd. Okay? The 2024 semifinals are scheduled to be played on a midweek day, according to Bill Hancock. That would presumably be Thursday and or Friday, January 9th and 10th, in an effort to avoid the NFL's wild card weekend, which begins that Saturday. How good of a football weekend did that just become? If you get a college football playoff semifinal on Thursday night, another college football playoff semifinal on Friday night, and then wild card weekend on Saturday and Sunday? Whew. And then you get a break. You, um, January 20th for the championship game. January 20th of 2025. Monday. They're going to keep doing the Monday thing. Okay. More coming up with you. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV in the Pearl River Resort Studios. We'll be back. Sports Talk for Mississippi. It's time for you to get real with it. Sports Talk Mississippi continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Double-breasted suits seem to be the go-to at the draft this year. I saw Matt Leiner post a, uh, a Twitter picture uh, a couple of days ago of himself and a couple other guys that were on stage from the uh, draft in the year that he was, was picked. He's like, man, what were we wearing? What were we wearing? I mean, it was big, baggy suits. Um, so, all over the place, your fashion update. How about a basketball update? Jamarian Sharp, transfer from or leaving Western Kentucky, has committed to Ole Miss. He is a center, and he is tall, seven foot five tall to be exact. Average seven and a half points, seven point seven rebounds, and four blocks per game last year. He has led the country in block shots in each of the last two seasons. Seven foot five. I, I would like to know if he can dunk a basketball without his body leaving the ground. So if he can get up on his tiptoes. Because I don't think he can dunk a ball flat-footed. I don't think that's possible. But if he gets the, that, that few... I mean, how big do you think a seven foot five guy's actual foot is? Like 18 inches or so? Yeah, well, I don't Maybe know. What's the size 22? I, I don't know. I don't know. But can he dunk a basketball... Well, not getting air. I would love to know that. 
Hmm. If if the pick and roll is not part of Chris Beard's offense, it needs to be now. Yeah. Let so let seven foot five just just set a pick and then roll, buddy. Just get your guards just to throw it up there, just above the defender, just up there, and he'll finish or should be able to finish. So there you go. That's um, a commitment. I mean, it's not necessarily a guy that's standing on campus right now, but a commitment to Chris Beard and Ole Miss basketball. So good stuff there. Um, didn't Ole Miss play Western Kentucky this past year? Got beat. Guy had like a billion blocks that day, I think. Yeah, he he had a good game. That 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 added to his four point one blocks per game average. It, it took it from one point one to four point one. Just that one game. He had a billion blocks. All right. We got baseball tonight. Mississippi State, Tennessee, game one, first pitch about 20 minutes from right now. Hey, Dad, key tonight for Mississippi State is what? Keep it in the yard? Uh, it's always pitching with Mississippi State, just keeping them off the bases from the via the, the free pass. You know, it's Tennessee. They're going to get some hits, but you can't give up five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten walks, twelve walks. I mean, that's what State's done at games this year. Now, I have, I have faith in State's offense. I know they're, they're they're facing good pitching, but I feel like they'll be able to get some hits, maybe get some runs. But if they let Tennessee get guys on base for free, then singles become RBI singles, and doubles become bases clearing doubles, and that's how the game gets away from you. Uh oh! Do they have weather issues, or was that yesterday when this little video was shot? It's it's a little it's a little rainy up there today. Okay, but this turf field, so they can play in the rain. Yeah. Have you seen a lineup post? There it is. There it is. David Mershon leading yeah. off, playing at short. Colton Ledbetter in center. Hunter Hines, the DH, batting third. Dakota Jordan in left, batting fourth. Cleanup hitter. Callum Clark moves up a couple of spots in the lineup to number five, the right fielder. Uh, Slate Alford at third base is batting six. Luke Hancock batting seven and playing first base. Amani Larry and Ross Highfield stay at the bottom of the order at second base and catcher, respectively, with Cade Smith on the mound. No Cade changes. Smith to throw the way that he threw last week against Auburn. Yeah. Was the only change seeing Callum Clark bump up from seven to five? He he, he they they did that. Uh... They did that for Tuesday's game. I know. I'm not. I don't remember if they did it for the weekend or not. Okay. I know at the beginning of last weekend he was still in the seven hole, so maybe his uh, has moved yeah. up again as uh, as well. And the David Mershon thing is stuck, which Chris Lamonas two Mondays ago told us that he was about to get a chance, and uh, he is taking full advantage of that chance, and is not only in the lineup but hitting at the top of the order and made a pretty good short too, right? Yes, yes, has done a good job of solidifying that middle infield uh, since he since he's taken over, uh, yeah. which happened, at, I believe, in the Ole Miss series. Uh yeah, I think that's right. I know he played a bunch in uh, in that played weekend. second on on Saturday because uh, Larry was out with a migraine and then came back on Sunday and started it short. Um, sorry, I was looking for Tennessee's lineup. I can't find their baseball account on Twitter. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, rest of the weekend, Texas A&M and Arkansas. 
That one also gets started tonight. It's on ESPNU at 7 o'clock. Alabama at LSU. Auburn at South Carolina. Kentucky at Vanderbilt. Georgia at Ole Miss. Missouri at Florida. Is this a compelling Week 7 schedule, or does this one not do much for you? Like Kentucky at Vanderbilt in terms of rankings, that's number 10 and number 5 facing off, but I don't know. This is a huge weekend for Kentucky. Yeah, you feel like Vanderbilt should win easily, but they got swept last weekend, so maybe they're, they're, they're taking a little bit of a downturn. Yeah. South Carolina tries to keep it rolling against Auburn. Auburn, a team that's in a, in a desperate spot. They got two last weekend, which they had to have. But they're like what we've talked about with Mississippi State and with Ole Miss. They got a pile of a bunch of wins in the second half because they were 5-10 and 10 at the turn. So we'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see with them. Uh, in terms of the pitching matchups, uh, tonight in that A&M Arkansas game, Troy Wansing and uh, Hunter Holland. Cade Smith, we talked about for Mississippi State, facing Andrew Lindsay. And uh, the rotation for Tennessee, Andrew Lindsay game one, Chase Dolander in game two, Drew Beam in game three which means they have moved, is it Burns, Chase Burns, to the mm-hmm. bullpen? He's in the bullpen, yeah. Yeah, he, he's the, he's the one that year. came out and was throwing it 101 last week in extra innings against Vanderbilt and gave them like three or four yeah. innings and was just really, really good. Tennessee seems to have figured it out a little bit. Huge challenge. Huge challenge this weekend for Mississippi State. And we talked about this at the uh, the beginning of the show this afternoon. Uh, Ole Miss will be without Hunter Elliott this weekend. Rebels will go with Xavier Rivas in Game 1 against Colton Smith from Georgia. Game 2, the freshman right-hander JT Quinn will face off against Charlie Goldstein, who's been really good as of late. And then lefty Liam Sullivan is going to throw Game 3 for Georgia. Ole Miss TBA in Game 3. Tweeted this out earlier if you missed it. Ole Miss Baseball released a statement to Chase Parham from Rebel Grove, the rival site, about Hunter Elliott. He said, Mike Bianco did, quote, Hunter still feels discomfort after his start on Saturday to the point where we feel it is in his best interest for him to revisit with a physician early next week. Which leads all of us to believe, the three of us, that Hunter Elliott's done for the year for all this. Yeah. I mean, what what would be the benefit to rush him back? There's none. None. I, at, at this point, it, at the, it feels weird. Four weeks left. What happened last year, I get it. But all of the baseball attention with Ole Miss... It should be focused on 2024. What does that team look like? Is Hunter Elliott healthy by then? How do you do in the portal? Who did you lose? That kind of stuff. I mean, especially if you if you lose another series this weekend, then it's not even worth talking about anymore. The actual right. baseball left on the schedule. Yeah. I mean, they're games, so we'll talk about them because they're games. Sure. 
But not in the same way. But no, I mean, the significance. If Ole Miss does not win the series, are sweet. I mean, if they win the series, there's still a puncher's chance. They've just got to sweep. They've got to win every series and sweep two of them. So, Yeah, you're talking about getting to 13. To get to 13. And they're going to have to do it apparently without Hunter Elliott, and we do not have an update on Jack Doherty. He did not pitch this last weekend. He is not in the rotation this weekend. So on that front, we shall see. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, Supertalk TV. Draft begins in one hour and 11 minutes on all of the ESPN channels and on NFL Network. You got all the coverage. So whatever your flavor is that you like, whichever sports network, whichever personalities, you can watch them because they are all in Kansas City right now. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll wrap it up with you coming up next. More Sports Talk Mississippi now. Now. Trucking, got my chips cashed in. Keep trucking, like the doodah man. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you in part by Visit Oxford. Find them online at visitoxfordms.com. Double-decker weekend is here. We will be there tomorrow broadcasting live from 3 to 6 in the front lawn or on the front lawn of the uh, the Visit Oxford office on Jackson Avenue just off the edge of the square kind of right across the street from Funkies. If you are in and around the area, we'd love for you to come by and say hello We'll be talking college baseball. We'll be talking first round of the NFL draft and a whole lot more as we roll through the show tomorrow afternoon. Uh, be sure to visit their website, visitoxfordms.com, for all the information surrounding Double, double Decker. Not too late for you to register for the uh, the 5K, the 10K, or the fun run on Saturday morning. So you've got that piece of it going for you. Um, you can also see the music acts and the food vendors and the layout and buy merchandise online. It's all there online at visitoxfordms.com. Good to be with you this Thursday afternoon as we roll toward the weekend. Any as you surprises? Roll the draft, buddy. Yeah, well, the draft coming up next. You got any surprises? Are you expecting any surprises tonight? Almost always. Yeah, I mean, you can't predict them, but there will be. You know, somebody will drop, drop. Somebody will jump up and reach. Happens every year. I yeah. hope it's not your team. I feel Unless bad. Unless it's the Falcons, for, and then I hope it is your team. I feel bad for the Colts fan out there. Oh. I, I'm thinking about. Oh, they're about tonight. to get Levis. I have, I have some friends that are Colts fans, and I was thinking about this guys, the other know, day. I, I feel it. They're yeah. either going to be a lot of people that are really, really wrong. About Will Levis, mm-hmm. or a few people that are really, really right. And I don't know that there's. I would bet much that I'm on the right side. I think you either love the guy, or you are not even remotely impressed. I get it. I get the physical tools. I see them. 
But I watched him play the games in, in what is the closest thing to the NFL that you can muster, the SEC. And is there a single game where you're just like, man, Will Levis dominated that game, single-handedly willed Kentucky to win, the way you can with basically every other quarterback that has been a first-round pick or even lower than that. I mean, I can find games that Dak Prescott led Mississippi State to victory through his play. I can, I mean, big games, not not against ULM. I can do that with Chad Kelly. I, I can do that with, with almost any quarterback. With Will Levis, is there a game where it's like, hey, Levis is the difference between a win and a loss there for the for the Wildcats? No. I mean, even Mahomes' teams weren't good, but the numbers that that he put up were were un like otherworldly. Lamar Jackson mentioned his contract. He was his teams weren't good, but he was. I don't know. It's it's Josh Allen syndrome. And that's they they're falling in love with Levis because they see the physical tools that don't match the college production just like Josh Allen. And they think, well, if Allen can do it, so can this guy. And if you are the guy that drafts Josh Allen, you have a career in scouting in the NFL forever. Ah, he wasn't good at Wyoming, but I believed in him. If Will Levis is a hit, the scout or, or the GM in Indianapolis that said, that's my guy, has a job forever. It's intoxicating. We got a message, by the way, that said um, weather delay for Mississippi State, Tennessee. Is that accurate? I haven't seen anybody tweet about that. I haven't either. Um, A weatherman from Knoxville, 33 minutes ago, tweeted, Steady rain lets up soon, close to scheduled first pitch, but it will remain cool and damp with drizzle possible through the evening. More rain and rumbles late tonight and overnight. Nothing from the MSU baseball account. So Yeah. Wes Rucker, for his part, tweeted, I don't suspect Lindsey Nelson will be full and rocking like usual tonight on account of this disgusting weather, but you know what they say, when there's turf on the field, you can play ball. I mean, yeah, okay. Full and rocking. It's a good environment. They invented the sport. Well, they have more than one camera to, to film this game, or do we just get that one shot? Good times, that. So I think what Wes Rucker is actually saying is that Mississippi State-Tennessee will draw roughly one-eighth of the crowd that Mississippi State had when they hosted Ole Miss on Super Bulldogs Saturday. <laughs> one-eighth. This is, this, is how, this is how State fans flip on Tennessee when it talks about football attendance. They're like, oh, you're going to buy your... Well, there you go. Hmm. Imagine yeah. if Neyland held 250,000. That's how many different the crowds are. <laughs> You know there's going to be 83,000 for a volleyball game in Nebraska coming up in August. So I hear. So, so I, hear. I hear. All right, enjoy your State Thursday night. soccer in a football stadium next year. Draft starts in an hour. First round tonight, second round tomorrow, second and third round tomorrow, and then four, five, and six on Saturday. Thanks for being with us. From Michael Borky and Brian Haydad in the Pearl River Resort Studios, I'm Richard Cross. Good night.
Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services A Super Talk Mississippi media production.